Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk. Hello and welcome to CityWire Podcast. I'm Margarita Kirakosian and we are currently at the New Model Advisor Conference in London. And joining me is Yulia Maroshevska, the founder of Defense and Security Center and an activist and uh, also Ukrainian, uh, as absolutely. I am. So I'm a Absolutely 100% Ukrainian. Laska vaprosimo, Yulia. I'm really happy to be here in this uh, event and uh, to share the stories of uh, Ukrainians from the front line and from the and regular uh, yes. life. Uh, so, Yulia, I, I know from experience from friends and family who are so in Ukraine that it's quite a long journey. So how long did it actually take to get to London? It's a great question, you know, <laughs> you have to be Ukrainian to ask this question. <laughs> exactly. Uh, because we have uh, like zero flights from Ukraine right now, all the operations, flight operations are suspended. Uh, so I had to take a train from Kiev to Warsaw, which uh, takes around 19 hours. And then uh, I'm staying overnight in Warsaw, and then in the morning I'm catching the flight to London. That's my regular road, <laughs> a regular trip uh, to London. So, so and uh, or or anywhere. So mostly I'm traveling from Warsaw, and I have like uh, actually extra. 24 hours that I have to spend in a train. So it's at least a two-day journey, which logically backs a question, why does it matter? Like, how do you kind of like, what is the purpose of spending so much time, you know, going to places and talking to people about Ukraine? Because I think you have a very interesting background. You understand the economic side of things because you were an economic advisor. That, I is w- that I right? So I, w- I was the deputy governor of the Odessa region and then oh, the uh, head of the Odessa customs. So I worked pretty closely with the taxation and uh, economic development of the south region, which is actually super connected to the grain experts because uh, the south uh, of Ukraine is considered to be the gate of Europe uh, because of the amount of commodities that are moving there. Moving around. So how is the situation like? Well, both in Odessa and Ukraine at large, one year on. I personally still can't believe that we are almost at a one year mark uh, because in the beginning, almost no one gave us longer than a couple of days and we're still here. But in terms of economics and politics, where are we one year on? Wow, uh, when you're saying that, I also cannot believe it's a year already, like mm-hmm. almost a year. Uh, so I would say that in this year we became much stronger. Uh, our army became much stronger and our civil society became stronger and angrier and now uh, more trained and more knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. You know, in my community, 
everyone knows the difference between F-16s, F-18s, F-15s, between Abram tanks and Leopard tanks and <laughs> Challenger tanks. And I presume you too know Steep the difference yes, <laughs> between yes. ground air defense, S-300, <laughs> Patriot mm -hmm. and NASAMs. That's insane how much uh, of a new knowledge, new skills we got. Uh, so the whole society is changing. But I would say that uh, Ukraine and the Ukrainian people are becoming stronger in this year. So it's not just about us per se as well, because Ukraine is a big exporter. And when I talk to people, especially in the beginning, there wasn't that much realization of how much we were producing to export abroad and some of the things like sunflower oil, pig iron, and you mentioned that in your presentation. These are not things that were even in public domain or public awareness. So can you elaborate a little bit on that? And well, firstly, uh, explain a bit the impact of the war in the Ukrainian economy, and then as, as an extension of that on the world economy. So with the Ukrainian economy, it's kind, uh, kind of a disaster. We lost almost a half of the Ukrainian uh, economy, um, yeah. just because uh, a lot of uh, people left the country, those people who worked and produced uh, um, taxation and money mm -hmm. to the budget and some value add. Um, and another part is the global perception, you know. Um, for me, because I'm Ukrainian and because I worked with a seaport and I saw like on, on my table every day the amount, the, uh, the volumes that are exported, for me it's so surprising that people do not know that Ukraine is yes. number one sunflower oil exporter, that like sunflower oil uh, in Italy is from Ukraine, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like and globally. So, so for me it's surprising, but I understand that uh, this uh, war showed how interconnected global economy is and showed a real place of Ukraine in this global economy. We are kind of like uh, under-communicated uh, yeah. economy, so uh, I, I wouldn't see, say that we were seen as this uh, bigger size player, but uh, now when the especially at the beginning of the war, when the exports uh, capacity of Ukraine was uh, were cut off, then we saw how it influenced the world um, and uh, the amount uh, of problems that appeared after that in terms of the prices rising for the commodities. It was like obvious that Ukraine has its huge place, especially in the global food security. Uh, so what are the biggest pressure points at this time? Uh, because obviously I think Egypt and Lebanon, places like that, they are quite dependent on the agricultural exports, but it's not just that. There are many more things that you don't necessarily think about that are still under pressure. Uh, so, y yes, uh, low-income countries uh, depend on Ukrainian sunflower oil and grain. And uh, it's not it's on not only Ukrainian, but Russian, which is mm -hmm. under sanctions. So they're losing even like one more exporter. Uh, these countries also are um, suffering from the uh, lack of fertilizers right now that were coming uh, from Russia, with which are under sanctions mm -hmm. right now. And then um, if we are speaking about more developed countries, then the problems are <laughs> more developed. For example, um, 
German's automotive industry uh, suffered yeah. problems because of the wireless harness, mm -hmm. which uh, which were produced in the Western Ukraine. And when the war has started, when the full-scale invasion has started, uh, uh, we, we, mm, facilities in Ukraine couldn't operate, and that caused a problem in the German's uh, plants. But you know, it's possible to rebuild uh, the supply chain in this case. But for those countries with a lower income. I don't think that that would be so easy. There are yeah. uh, and and for the whole world, like mm, Ukrainian farmers that are not mm -hmm. able to plant enough grain this year, it will influence very different industries, from fish and chips that you will be buying on the streets of London, yeah. a little bit more expensive <laughs> now, <laughs> to uh, as it happened to baby formula in mm -hmm. the US. So a wide range of industries are harmed with this war. And uh, you mentioned that some of the areas in Ukraine are still, well, kind of like inaccessible for agriculture and then military has to basically wade through like fields to work out what is safe and what is not. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, Ukrainian land and Ukrainian sea now are the most mined areas in the world. And it's also a huge ecological uh, disaster. disaster yeah. Like, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dolphins are dying because mm -hmm. of mines, because yeah. of the explosion. Mm -hmm. Explosions, uh, yeah. yeah. They explode in, in the sea, in the Black Sea. But if we are talking about agriculture, uh, fields, uh, especially in the eastern Ukraine, in the north, uh, are mined and they were mined by both sides by Ukrainian yeah. and by Russian side because now it's not a f agriculture field now it's a battlefield yeah and uh, uh, we already have uh, lots of accidents when uh, tractor drivers were actually killed because uh, the tractor hit hits uh, the mine hits and the mine explodes yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I was wondering as well well kind of like changing the topic slightly so, because we are talking about investments here, right? And there are two ways to approach this for those who are looking to either support Ukraine or to make sure that their investments are going to the right place. So one is to invest, uh, to contribute to Ukraine's future development. Another one is making sure that you are not contributing your money in a way you, that you are not aware to Russian businesses, basically, well, to the Russian economy, if, um, because it's foreign businesses who are still present in Russia. So I guess let's start with the positives. Let's start with how investors can help Ukraine at this point in time, which sectors would make a lot of sense to support. So even though you wouldn't think about investing into the country at war, but uh, Ukraine is a unique in a unique situation. Uh, during the last year, our uh, IT industry, software development, uh, has grown rapidly and uh, it is still growing. I even though it's a war, uh, I think during this year we had 13% of growth. So if uh, there is an interest in Ukraine and you want to make a safe investment, where for sure your numbers will be growing, I would look uh, into the Ukrainian startup. I have uh, friends all over yes. <laughs> Europe and further afield who are IT professionals who are still working yeah. for Ukrainian companies. Yeah, and that's the reason. Yeah. It's easy for them to work. They can live in Portugal and still work for Ukrainian startup. 
So uh, this uh, flexibility, mobility of the people working in the IT companies, it, it actually saved uh, part of Ukrainian economy. Yeah, and his expertise as well, because yeah. you know we have people who are trying to do this and this is again something under the radar but something people who were from the country knew yeah. for a very long time that IT industry is booming and it still continues to grow. What, what, what was the number that you gave for even last year? So IT industry is the third biggest industry in Ukraine mm -hmm. after grain and metal then we have like IT sector um, in terms of exporting. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's billions of dollars coming into Ukraine and it is growing. Um, and what's interesting, a few years ago, it was mostly outsourced for US, Germany yeah. and UK. So companies in UK would uh, uh, find companies, uh, teams in Ukraine that will develop products for them. Now the situation is changing. Now it is products developed yeah. in Ukraine but uh, making money in Western markets <laughs> yes yeah and mm -hmm. but but thanks uh, thanks God they're paying taxes in Ukraine so mm -hmm. that's very important that for helps us. A lot. yeah that helps economy a lot mm -hmm. so that would be number one uh, economy sector to look at mm -hmm. and then for those who are interested in long-term investments in a uh, heavier industries mm -hmm. uh, I would say like um, construction infrastructure agriculture I would just start looking now because mm -hmm. when the war will be over, there will be a lot of interest from investors all over the world to, to invest in Ukrainian land, uh, agriculture and infrastructure. But if you will start establishing connections now, establishing connections with the community and maybe starting with a smaller impact investments, mm -hmm. renovating something, helping to renovate something small, just, just to to make a good name uh, in the country, it will be really helpful uh, for the moment when the war will be over and everyone will be here, but you uh, will be in Ukraine, but you yeah. will be someone who is already known and already have have trust uh, among the of local the community. community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was wondering beyond construction, infrastructure investments and well, IT obviously, agriculture, almost yeah. forgot about that. Um, I think it's important uh, for foreign companies especially to remove their businesses from Russia. I know it's a hard choice because obviously you're losing money on it, but there is no alternative because otherwise you are providing them with funds to continue the invasion. Yeah, and, and I think staying in Russia will also bring at some point uh, to the situation of losing money because staying in Russia uh, creating a lot of scandals around the brand of the company creating a lot of tension and if you are working with the public company uh, where the um, image and perception and means shareholder a pressure. lot yes. and shareholder mm -hmm. pressure means mm -hmm. a lot it means that one day you will lose uh, share values if you are staying in Russia so there are this moral component but there is also long-term strategic mm -hmm. financial component so that's very important to pay attention to it and uh, there are some tools that can help uh, fund managers mm -hmm. and financial advisors to manage uh, the situation, to know for sure what is uh, the, the situation with the company that they're looking at uh, investing in, for example, or partnering with, uh, in. Uh, there is a Kiev School of Economics project mm -hmm. uh, where you can um, uh, check if the company is in Russia, is operating in Russia currently, if they have 
pulling out of Russia and what kind of statements they are making. So you can uh, find this project on, on the website of the Kiev School of Economics. And uh, you can also find these same, the similar project uh, done by the Yale School of mm -hmm. Management. They're, they're sharing the current status on companies operating in Russia. So uh, my message is very simple. Make it your ESG fund policy to have no Russia-connected company and money in, in your portfolio. Mm -hmm. And uh, one more thing, important thing, is to not cooperate with those people, uh, those uh, international specialists, consultants, who or directors who are sitting in the boards of directors mm -hmm. uh, on the Russian company of the Russian companies there are a lot of them and uh, Ukrainian national anti-corruption agency right. made a list and you That's can find oh, uh, find <laughs> it on your it's on your website uh, I, mm -hmm. I shared the link with you with the city bar so um, check the people that you're working with mm -hmm. so because uh, a lot of them they're s still sitting in, the in this uh, Gazprom board of directors, mm -hmm. and that's not someone you want to have uh, uh, on your board of directors. Um, this is so fascinating because when the invasion just started, I took the pains to look at ESG funds that held Gazprom, and there were a couple, and I just couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it. It was like, no matter how you look at it, from the environmental perspective, social governance perspective, this just makes no sense. So I just hope that this situation will be improved with yeah. time and people just will pay a bit more attention because it's not just about the usual suspects, for example. Like we did hear in the news about Raiffeisen Bank having a big exposure in Russia, but there are also some very much everyday consumer companies that you wouldn't think about and they are still there and they are still providing money uh, that is potentially funding the war. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, this French company Bonduel, they have a huge scandal around them. Uh, but uh, whatever the context of the scandal was, the, the thing is that they're still operating in Russia and uh, they're calling it uh, that uh, they basic uh, need product but uh, first they're not and it's obviously looks like a business interest and uh, it's just uh, mm, uh, so first of all they already lost the ukrainian market yeah as an example yeah. <laughs> the ukrainian ministry of economy um, I think they suspended uh, their operations in Ukraine and lots of uh, chains, they just uh, now are refusing to sell them, uh, trade chains, they don't mm -hmm. want to sell them on uh, their shelves anymore. So that's just like small examples, but uh, I think there must be a like, very clear uh, vision, understanding and inner policy regarding working in Russia. Yeah. And if we think about the outlook for the coming months, um, I hear a lot from like people I know that the next couple of weeks and months will be tough uh, on multiple levels but I was wondering if you can give some insight in terms of what are we looking at kind of like going forward and where the international community potentially should be paying attention and be there and supporting Ukraine so it, it is a time to pay attention uh, if uh, after the Kharkiv uh, summer counteroffensive and then south counteroffensive, we had some kind of uh, I know positive uh, not break, but at least uh, not as uh, such an active period uh, warfare, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, war period as it was before. Now it's starting over again. Yeah. So 
300,000 people, new conscripts to, to Russian army uh, are already trained. And uh, from what I'm hearing, the, the offensive, the new offensive is starting already mm. some directions. We already mm -hmm. lost Solidar, a very complicated fight around Bakhmut is happening. So, uh, and it will be tougher and tougher. And next weeks we are, we are waiting for a tougher offensive from the Russian side. So all the support that uh, international governments can provide with the weaponry is the best timing is needed. now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. And it's just to kind of like keep that awareness of that. This is still happening. I know it's been a long time. And even yeah. for us, it's hard to kind of like keep on thinking about it again and again but it didn't go away it's yeah. not going away anytime soon as well for well i'm also thinking about that you know like media attention spam is short it is but yeah. the war is long mm -hmm. and we are in the middle of this long war so for us it's uh, an ongoing process and it's very hot there and I understand it's hard to pay the attention, but think about people who are like sitting at the frozen cold at trenches. It's mm -hmm. much harder for them. So uh, <laughs> let's just uh, stay united here. And uh, I can't say that people are like forgot forgot about that. that they're forgetting about Ukrainian war, mm -hmm. the war in Ukraine. I I see a lot of support. I feel it uh, among international communities. It's just that like media is shifting to someone uh, something else. Yeah, it's just the new cycle, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, what I also wanted to talk to you about a little bit is that yeah, the front line is front and center of what we are talking about a lot, but it goes beyond that. There yeah. are a lot of communities behind the front line where you don't have electricity for hours on end, for example. So if you could share a little bit of insight because I know that from my family that it can be blackouts day in day out uh, just to give a feel that this is real uh, it is very real uh, I call it a new normal <laughs> for mm -hmm. us with for Ukrainians for example in, in Odessa last week it were it was like two days without light and what does it mean two days without electricity it's not that mm -hmm. you just cannot like switch on your computer or cook your food uh, it also means that you don't have internet access mm -hmm. and it's ju it's it's just a disaster it's very depressing especially when the weather is bad and then your heating doesn't work or sometimes your water dust supply doesn't work so it's kind of like a weird and uh, tough life uh, experience but uh, living in Kiev, we have more or less uh, stable electricity shutdowns. It happens uh, one or two times per day for mm, four yep. hours every time. And I can say that uh, somehow people are getting used to it. Mm -hmm. And even myself, now I'm like building my schedule <laughs> around this electricity. Blackouts. Yeah. <laughs> blackouts. And uh, there are these jokes that... Uh, Blackouts is uh, the best uh, time manager coach <laughs> in the world. <laughs> that now Ukrainians became super efficient <laughs> because when you have this like two hours of electricity, you need to do everything. <laughs> you have to wash your clothes. You have to do your dishes. <laughs> you have to yeah. respond to all the emails and to do everything. So uh, yeah, jokes uh, jokes are jokes, but uh, blackouts are tough. But uh, also, let's not forget that. Uh, cities uh, which are not on the front line are being targeted almo 
almost every day with the Russian uh, rockets and missiles. Electricity supplies as well. Uh, power yeah. plants, absolutely, mm -hmm. with the Iranian UAVs, Shahed, mm -hmm. they're being targeted with this uh, UAVs. So uh, it's, uh, there are, like, unfortunately, our people live, like, almost every day expecting something bad will happen. Yeah. And for a lot of families, it, it has already happened. Like imagine that uh, in my community, lots of families they have uh, sons, fathers, daughters who are fighting at the front line. Someone lost, someone lost this. Their loved ones, yeah. their loved ones. Someone, someone uh, is wounded. So it's kind of like it's uh, war. It it's in it is in every part of our life. Yeah. And someone is suffering directly. But so, someone is suffering less. But we are also suffering as a community yes, together. But, but, yeah. but, but everyone is in 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 this. Uh, Isn't uh, it? Yes, is a part uh, of this process. Um, yeah, and but well, one thing that came strongly through your presentation is that the spirit is strong, and people are Ukrainian people are resilient, and we just need be remembered we need to be supported um, so I guess last thing I wanted to ask you is what would be your message for our European listeners our UK listeners uh, knowing what you know and going through all of that in the last uh, year so my message would be simple uh, I know that there are a lot of politics happening in every country yes. around every issue I uh, I just ask uh, the issue of uh, Ukraine would not be politicized, mm -hmm. and uh, I would just ask to to stand with us and to be united in this fight uh, against uh, terror, because uh, uh, Ukrainians have made uh, their choice. We made mm -hmm. our choice to um, stand strong against it's Russia. It's an existential threat. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, sometimes I, thi I think it's our historical mission. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel that a lot of people around me and in Ukraine are on a mission. Yeah. So we are there to defeat, to uh, mm -hmm. win this war, to uh, to fight with Russia and uh, just keep supporting us as much as you can. Because mm -hmm. I think all the world will benefit when such a uh, terror regime will fall. Yulia. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much what and uh, all the best. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much. It was a great pleasure to meet fellow Ukrainian here at City of Ireland. Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk.